0: This is the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers, thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Okay, hi everyone, my name's Leon Logan Nathan and I'm the, uh, uh, well I am a host of the Territory Story podcast, uh, my co-host Peter Gowers. Peter, how are you mate?
1: Hello my friend, how are you?
0: Good, good, you're coming in loud and clear and your pitch is clear as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, we're we're constantly talking about technology on the podcast, so I guess I'll I'll let the cat out of the bag that we're trying something new today, which includes video.
0: Yes, yes. So um, we decided to record this podcast uh, very soon after the one that we just released today, um, simply because obviously uh, COVID-19 is on everybody's mind, and that's all that seems to be talked about at the moment. And uh, we thought it would be good to try and reach across to the other side of the world and speak to someone who is in Europe to see what's happening over there and uh, if we can learn anything um, here in the territory, because people seem to be a little bit uh, blasé about it all, as Territorians tend to be anyway. So um, without, uh, without any, any more fanfare, I'd like to uh, welcome to the podcast a good friend of mine who... Did spend at least uh, half a dozen years, if not more, in the territory. Peter Coleman, welcome to the podcast, Pete.
2: Oh, thank you, Leon. Absolute pleasure to be here. And and yes, it was in the order of uh, in the order of ten years all up. Yes, ten years was it? Right, uh, right. In, we'll, in we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But uh, where are you exactly
0: for the listeners?
2: Uh, absolutely. So I am uh, in London and more specifically for those who have travelled near Heathrow to the west of London. So uh, for those who might know the very famous M25 Ring Road around London, uh, I'm out near that, about about 20, 30 kilometres outside of the the centre of London. And I'm I'm about 10 minutes from uh, Windsor Castle and uh, the very beautiful Windsor Great Park, and I'm about 400 metres from the River Thames. It's uh, it's quite a lovely place to be in Surrey.
0: Yes, and I've been there, oh. and it is lovely, and your house is lovely. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to uh, Peter Gowers. Peter,
2: meet Peter. Nice to meet you, Peter. <laughs> you too. Pete. This, this might be difficult for you then, but uh, I, and and I won't be offended if you say Peter one and Peter two.
0: Oh. <laughs> Or I might revert back to your uni house name, Maverick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe no need to go there. (laughs) That that could be a different podcast, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, look for the benefit of the listeners, I uh, I, I guess, Pete. uh, You might want to uh, just tell everyone what your connection to the territory is.
2: Uh Okay, Leon, and, and please, as I do, just uh, direct me as to what your, the listeners might need at any point. Uh, there's always lots to discuss, and, and perhaps we could uh, chat for hours or even days, uh, but the NT, uh, a wonderful place. I lived, as we said a little earlier, in Darwin for uh, between six and ten years. Uh, I studied there for a while, and this is around, uh, where are we, 1986, after studying certificate in New South Wales. I uh, came up to Darwin, found myself there and uh, liked it and and stayed a while. Uh, while I was there, I completed a, uh, a an associate diploma in applied science. And at the point of graduation, it was then called the Northern Territory University, uh, now Charles Darwin, uh, I believe. And I uh, and the the short version of this story is that uh, I met a, a very wonderful lady, and she is still my wife uh, now, some twenty two years or so married, which uh, time has has absolutely flown by. Uh, and in Thank Darwin, her name. Uh, her name is Suzanne Suzanne Martin. She's uh, born and bred, born in Darwin Hospital, and, and Suzanne lives with me here in uh, in Surrey in the UK. Uh, and we get back to darwin when we can and it's always wonderful uh, so fantastic uh, links and memories to darwin and the people and and there's times perhaps as we'll discuss times such as covid-19 that uh, you think about uh, the lovely atmosphere and the people and the great food of darwin and the nt generally
1: i actually um completely completely different scenario but Uh, I moved overseas uh, seven days before September 11th occurred, and uh, I was living in Dubai when it happened, and it it was not dissimilar to this in that there was just so much chatter. Social media wasn't quite what it is now, but there was so much chatter about what was going to happen, and was George Bush going to obliterate the Middle East, and you know what what the hell was going on but you, it's it's times like this when the familiarity of home and you know friends and family and whatever um, that I think probably have m- more importance than, than when life is going swimmingly.
2: Mm. What's wonderful about the world is is that there are so many wonderful places that you could call home uh, the NT and Darwin is certainly one of those and I don't know about you Pete uh, but, you know, a variety of memories of living in a place, uh, scuba diving in Darwin Harbour and fishing and, and being involved in running events. For Leon and myself, uh, uh, living on campus uh, in the old uh, staff accommodation at Miley Point, <laughs> the old uh, hospital staff accommodation, uh, which was then the university campus and and brilliant memories there uh myself and suzanne had our wedding reception at what was then called the diamond beach hotel casino uh, a fantastic venue uh and again great memories of friends and food and and things like that and and so many other experiences um, but equally and as we might talk as i've traveled the world to various places as i think you both have you realize that there are uh, there's many many places that can be can be fantastic
1: yeah
0: Yeah, so, um, Pete, the reason um, why we wanted to get you on the podcast today is uh, here in Darwin with with COVID-19, and we're going to release this podcast immediately, so it's going to be a bonus episode. Um, Here in Darwin, uh, the current situation is no one has got the virus. Um, The only person that did have it was a person that came to Darwin uh, from interstate, uh, and was promptly put in quarantine and then shipped back down south from where they came. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so so we, we currently have no one uh, that we know of, but as we all know, the, the virus is asymptomatic, which means that you could have it, but you don't know that you do. Um, and this has bred, um, and, and as we all know, Darwin is one of the most laid-back places in the country, uh, in a country that it's... It, In itself is laid back Uh, and so the situation here right now is that people other than running to the shopping center to um, buy toilet paper uh, people are pretty relaxed and it it seems to be almost business as usual with the exception of washing your hands and not shaking hands We were trying to figure out what's going on over there in London, given that we are reading about places like Italy, where it is completely insane.
2: Well, Leon, uh, firstly, it would be wonderful if uh, Darwin can remain largely virus-free, or at least deal with it in a a slow and methodical way. And let's hope that that's what happens. Uh, But using Italy as an example, you quite rightly do it's terrible for them and you feel for the entire country of italy Uh, the health staff have worked themselves many of them to exhaustion absolute exhaustion and and many people have sadly passed away Uh, the country as you your listeners will have uh, heard many of them the country is in lockdown and in the last 24 hours the uh, phrases used around europe is that europe has decided to essentially lock its external borders and you know we can discuss exactly what this means, but in a nutshell, this uh, very open area of the European Union is now uh, finding that it must be, in order for for health reasons, become less and less open. Each of the countries is putting in restrictions to try and save their people. But at the same time, don't get me wrong, they're trying to work together. It's an incredibly difficult difficult situation. It's unprecedented. And the UK is, uh, whilst well-equipped, and we have a very good infrastructure and so on, like other countries around Europe, uh, it's extremely worrying and it is extremely serious. Uh, This word panic, uh, there is little point in panicking, and, uh, and there is always a bit of a funny side, and that is okay. Uh, The toilet paper uh, issue gives us something to uh, to at least laugh at a little bit and to laugh at each other. And we have to continue doing that. But it is serious. Uh, Leon, I'll give you a couple of very quick facts and then open to you to to ask any other questions. But last night, the uh, chancellor of uh, of the Exchequer here, uh, our treasurer, essentially handed out three hundred and thirty billion pounds sterling. To businesses essentially and that was uh, just days after he gave a huge budget of tens of billions which was considered at the time a very generous budget Uh, this kind of expenditure is is unheard of Uh, this is a conservative government at the moment by the way Uh, and and so that's one sign the economy is suffering uh, hugely and our analysts know things are uh, are very 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 difficult and they're going to get more difficult that's the economic side of it and the economic side is just as important uh, absolutely as the health side because it has the knock-on effects for everybody and what is happening in the UK and Europe now there's no reason to believe it won't affect Australia in the same way so it's uh, as the governments know it's about being prepared but it's very much about people working together and being calm. The, uh, the supermarkets in the UK, also we're seeing empty shelves. Uh, one of the major supermarkets here today, a few of them actually, but uh, Sainsbury's comes to mind. They have informed everyone today that they are going to start restricting uh, items uh, so that uh, things can be shared. Uh, families that have been asked to go into self-isolation, entire families, if one person in the family suffers uh, symptoms. Uh, And, of course, for a family to do that, that's asking people to stop working, which has huge knock-on effects. And what if that person is a teacher? What if that person is a nurse? Uh, As with many hospital systems, uh, even if they're good, they can be overrun. And this virus, one of the difficulties is it will it will overrun the health service. That's what will happen in the UK to a large degree. So uh, that's where we're at. Uh, the government is concerned that the National Health Service, a great institution, uh, will begin to buckle under the pressure of of the virus.
1: Pete, um, this comes off the back of of Brexit, of course. Um, how is the UK dealing with that prior to this, let's call it an outbreak, that sounds like a really um, over-the-top sort of word, but I guess that's appropriate. H- how is the UK dealing with things post-Brexit and has this compounded things? I- I'm interested in things like the stock market as well, um, you know, the overall picture.
2: Uh, Pete, the stock market uh, is... Uh, <laughs> is in a very very poor situation uh, as of the last uh, 4 days or so uh, regarding brexit which you many of you know has been a huge item in itself uh, it has implications yeah. around the world not just for europe and the uk uh, at the moment the uh, trade uh, the trade negotiators from the UK and for you, from Europe, should be sitting down and should be in intensive, I mean, really intensive talks to try and come to an agreement, a trade agreement, before December 31st. Uh, this is a, a trade agreement uh, that would normally take somewhere between 7 and 11 years to, to uh, come to fruition, and the government was going to try and do this in 11 months. Uh, with all of its complications and knock-on effects to other countries all around the world, uh, and at the same time as that uh, major, major trade negotiation between uh, the Europe and uh, the uh, the EU and the UK, the UK was simultaneously launching uh, trade negotiations for a new deal with the United States of America. Uh, For anybody who knows anything about finance and economics you will know that that in itself is a massive undertaking and uh, so that's what was should be happening right now but uh, COVID-19 has essentially I think put a halt to everything so uh, a word I used I think earlier with Leon was uh, unprecedented these are unprecedented times so Pete uh, I have not heard the word Brexit mentioned in the last yeah. two weeks, and that is phenomenal. It is, uh, it's almost funny. They haven't mentioned the word Brexit. It's somehow going to have to take a back burner seat, and we're going to have to simply work with our colleagues across the world and across the rest of Europe until such time as this, uh, this medical situation uh, starts to, to free things up again or, or come to conclusion.
1: And with the budget that you mentioned before, Pete, was was that budget to try and stimulate the economy because of the Brexit situation, or was it pre? It couldn't have been preempting the virus, could it?
2: The virus had already occurred; it had started, and it although it hadn't reached the UK uh, and the concerns hadn't quite risen to what they are today, that budget was seeing a little bit into the future. So it was generous somewhat for that reason, uh, announcing lots of support for uh, small businesses and and so on. But I think it was also a lot to do with the fact that uh, the new conservative government under Boris Johnson and Mm -hmm. the new chancellor. So Boris Johnson had uh, a a treasurer, chancellor, uh, Sajid Javid, in place for a matter of weeks when there was a little bit of upheaval within the government, and uh, Rishi Shunak has now come in, and it was his first budget. I mean, within a week or so of becoming treasurer, he's he's, uh, giving a budget statement. Uh, But the government had uh, won its mandate uh, by bringing an awful lot of voters in the UK who would normally vote Labour, who would be on the opposition side, Uh, Again, these are strange times, and they had voted the Conservative government in, and I think a lot of the spending on the budget was perhaps Boris Johnson trying to say to people, I am going to fulfil my promises. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to be all right. I'm going to spend on new roads, on new hospitals. I'm going to move infrastructure to the north of England, where people felt somewhat marginalised and left out. Many people apparently felt as though uh, Europe... And the European Union had something to do with them feeling not quite looked after. In Mm -hmm. my view and the view of many, the evidence doesn't show that anything that could be done for regions of the UK could be done perfectly well within the European Union. And that's, of course, the discussions that we've been having for the last three years. But, uh, yes, I think the big budget was partly to say, hey, everything's great. I'm going to spend. I'm going to look after you. Wow. So at, at the moment, how many people have got uh, or are, are recorded to have got the virus? Uh, at the moment in the UK, uh, I'll approach it this way, Leon. Uh, as of uh, yesterday, the formal figures of those who have, who have uh, very sadly passed away is 71. Now, that figure is a very real figure. The uh, the other two figures we could look at is the number of people who have confirmed cases. And that's uh, a few thousand. I don't have the figure in front of me right now. But in fact, I believe that figure is somewhat irrelevant. And the reason I say that is because it depends on how much testing is done. And, and that's not a matter of saying testing is uh, uh, good or bad. There are different strategies. In South Korea, they, they tested uh, prolifically many, 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 many people, tens of thousands. Here in the UK, they've taken a slightly different approach, possibly more pragmatic. We're not going to go and test everybody. And uh, there's a variety of reasons, but think of this, you could test somebody and then 48 hours later, they could contract the disease from somebody else. You're going to retest everybody every three days. Mm -hmm. Um, If I get to the point there, a reason reasonable estimate, I think, at the moment that they're making in the UK is that there are possibly 35,000 people who would have the virus at the moment. Uh, The government has already gone to a stage, rather than asking people to contact their doctor and become tested, that's impractical. They have said that if you have some some of the key symptoms, such as a sudden and constant dry cough or a sudden and continuing fever, that you self-isolate immediately. You don't go to your doctor. You do not go to the hospital unless you absolutely need to. And then, of course, the emergency services are there for you. But you self-isolate. And as of yesterday, not only yourself, but your immediate family also self-isolates. That's the government directive here in the UK at the moment. Uh, And and so I hope you can see why I'm saying that the number of confirmed cases is somewhat of an irrelevant number. Uh, but many uh, tens of thousands would undoubtedly be carrying the virus at the moment within the UK.
0: And how far and how is this relative to, the, to Italy? Like where, where, where was how long ago was Italy in the same situation as the UK is currently?
2: Good question, Leon. Uh, Italy was about three weeks ahead of the UK, roughly. Uh, So in the coming three weeks, things uh, are expected to to become really quite severe here in the UK. Of course, every country must remember that uh, there are differences from place to place. There are cultural differences, the way people greet each other, how frequently they go to the cafe. That will alter things and slightly different approaches. Uh, Italy went into lockdown in their Lombardy region uh, in the north very quickly. The UK decided they didn't wish to lock down quickly in the hope of, as Australians I think know, spreading the way the virus comes into the society in the hope that maybe there will be a little bit of immunity starting to build up in some people as others get the virus. But we are approximately three or four weeks behind Italy and, uh, and Italy is a, a sign, unfortunately, that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Uh, Also, our scientists and uh, medical staff are learning constantly, they're learning from China, they're learning from South Korea, and they're very much learning from Italy. Uh, Our staff, our experts in the UK are in very close contact with the experts in Italy to try and see what is happening what the Italians are doing that works and what they're doing that doesn't work, and then to, to thread that needle, which is the way I like to look at it. The, the UK government, as I'm sure the Australian government will at some point, try to thread that needle in the best possible way to look after as many people as possible in a sensible manner. We can't ignore this. We can't say that if we do this, it will all go away. It won't go away. But if we can do things to mitigate the impact and make life a little nicer for people if we don't panic buy and trust that our Hmm. supply chains work, and they do. I am quite confident that Australia is similar to the UK. The UK has excellent supply chain in terms of groceries. It will be impacted by staff going ill, yes, but it works and it works well. So we can relax and things will turn up in a day or so. Well,
0: Uh, that's the one thing I I think is, you know, when when you follow what's going on in Italy, the one thing that you don't hear is that uh, people are starving you, should, you know so obviously the supply chains are working food and other items are being delivered uh, of course there's a shortage of masks and and medical equipment we know that but at least in terms of being fed uh, you're not going to starve so that's absolutely.
1: absolutely and the shortages the shortages are only due to the fact that people are panic buying M- most of the items that they can't get on the shelves in Australia right now are simply because the manufacturers didn't manufacture to the numbers that they didn't realise were going to occur. That's if they true, normally Peter. sell 1,000 units of toilet paper per week at X supermarket, now they're trying to sell 1,000 per day because these idiots are there en masse buying up <laughs> this stuff that is not in shortage.
2: You know, human nature... But you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, The the manufacturers are there. Yes, uh, because there'll be some staff illness, there'll be uh, uh, perhaps uh, some some small changes. But the supply chain works. You're absolutely right. And and it is the the buying which is generating the problem, not the other way around. Uh, it's, It's so true. It's so true. And Leon, you know, you hit the nail on the head. People are not suddenly going without food in Italy even though their, their health system has been somewhat devastated. The, the very wonderful side of all of this is that it will bring out uh, uh, that human spirit of helpfulness. And it is happening here in the UK. People are checking with neighbours, sometimes neighbours that they might not have had time to check with for uh, weeks on end. But they're coming together now. Are you OK? Let me know if you need any help. And and I think similar thing is happening in Italy and all around the world, and and that mm. is a good thing. Somehow there'll be a cultural change, and there's some there'll be some really wonderful stories out of this. Uh, but back to your valid point, Peter, the the idea of grabbing ten of something instead of perhaps yeah. just one extra, you know, one extra because you think you might need it, but grabbing ten of something that you normally get one, it doesn't make any sense. It's it's just no, silly. Sort of,
1: I saw a funny, um, a funny photo that started to do the rounds on social media today and it was a um, – it, it had at the top – was it was a picture of a bloke and at the top of it it said something like, your local plumber, and then he had gold rings, gold bracelets, gold jewellery, like he was just dripping in thousands and thousands of dollars worth of jewellery and at the bottom it said – after he clears all the toilet paper that gets used that's just been bought
2: <laughs> very good and that that's the humorous side of things as well there's uh there are some really great uh jokes and some excellent uh artistry in that field i'll say uh yeah. leon i think we just lost your picture what i did from here
1: yeah that's not necessarily a bad thing though pete can you hear us still mate <laughs> i can i'm back i'm back good good I- but
2: uh, there's some, and we have to you have to laugh. I, there was a, a BBC reporter reporting from Italy two days ago on a wonderful program that I I watch uh, called From Our Own Correspondent. It is fantastic. But she was speaking of some of the jokes at one point around Italy, and it was uh, the uh, airline pilot coming over the tannoy saying, "I hope you're all having a great flight. By the way, I just wanted to tell you that I'm working from home today." <laughs> I, saw that <laughs> I thought that was brilliant and you know we we have to laugh so there's the serious side but yeah. you, you know we've got to laugh at ourselves uh so there's some good stuff there uh, boys you you did uh, wish to know a little bit more about what's going on in the UK let me reflect yes. for a moment on on uh, our own situation so fortunately I, I can say that myself my wife Suzanne and my uh, wonderful son Joshua who is uh, 11 at the moment we're all fine but Joshua does a number of activities. Uh, he's in a school where he can ride his bicycle. He's lucky. He's, he's, uh, his school is only about uh, a mile away. Sorry, I'm adapting to the lingo. <laughs> One point <laughs> so many kilometers. And, uh, but he's involved in other activities as well. And this week I've had uh, uh, letters from a number of uh, his uh, organizations, from the tennis club. Tennis has been canceled for this week, coronavirus. Uh His swimming club, there's been a number of males out. They are still continuing. And interestingly, the reason is that the water and, of course, the chemicals in it can help to kill the disease. So the swimming swimming club is going to continue for now. uh, Some major changes to his theatre group that he goes to on Saturday. I believe that uh, Park Run, and Australia is one of the 20 or so countries around the world that participate in Park Run, I believe uh, Park Run events are looking to be cancelled this month and uh, uh, something that's uh, quite dear to us, Joshua plays the piano and we are privileged that he had been uh, selected on audition to play at the Royal Albert Hall uh, in April. We were thrilled, what a fantastic uh, opportunity and just in the last hour I've been informed that the Royal Albert Hall will be closing Uh, Until the end of April. Now that is unprecedented. This is a venue that exists to be open It exists to perform and make people laugh and make people cry Mm. entertain Uh, And it's it's closing for, you know, well over a month the number of uh, concerts and uh, uh, And performances that will have to be Completely cancelled or put through to next year is incredible the amount of organization, the people's incomes that will be affected by this single decision is incredible. And mm. uh, we are just one small part of that. We had also planned for a, uh, uh, a national uh, workshop. Joshua does a type of uh, piano called Suzuki. It's a wonderful way to learn uh, music. And we had a three-day workshop scheduled for the Easter holidays. And I'm expecting in the next uh, day or two that that will also sadly be canceled. So there's a a little bit of an insight as to how it's Mm. affecting uh, people, and each one of those clubs have professionals working for them whose income is then in jeopardy, not to mention the the health implications. And then finally, uh, in regard to the schools, uh, the UK is desperately trying to keep the schools open. Uh, I believe they're taking the right approach, and that's important. But mm. Joshua's own school has uh, sent the year nine children home uh, today. And, and I think that perhaps in the coming days, because of teacher shortages and various other staff being sick, they may have to close the entire school within a week or so.
1: Yeah, It's interesting, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you've heard this, Leon, but there's a couple of private schools in Melbourne that have been closed this week. and. Um, yeah, you know, the health ministers are meeting on an hourly basis. It seems like at the moment, but um, they've come out tonight and essentially they've panned the schools that have closed and uh, without directing them because they're private schools. They've they've suggested that they need to reopen immediately uh, because they're saying that the instances of of children under the age of eighteen. Uh, catching this virus are, are, are negligible, and they they can catch it and they can pass it on. But uh, younger children don't seem to be getting any ill effects from it. Well, they might
0: one, not mate, but they've got grandparents, you
1: know. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm not. I'm not the health minister, Leon. I'm just telling you what they said. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's there's
2: one of the key concerns. You close a school of a thousand pupils. And yep. uh, half of them uh, in our modern society are often cared for by their grandparents. Their yeah. grandparents are in the uh, in the category where they they are more at risk and should take uh, lots of precautions. So you yeah. let all of these uh, these lovely young children, who hopefully none of them are going to actually uh, fall seriously ill, but they're carrying lots and lots of bugs.
1: Yeah, correct. And and I think that was one of the points that was being made is that. It's actually better for them to be at school because then they're not at home with grandma or grandpa or you know great aunt such and such, um, and, and you know there's, there's the other uncertainties as well because um, you know as you rightly pointed out before if if you know in my case Leon if my kids are at home um, n- no work's getting done and and there's other implications there as well mum and dad have to stay home or um, yeah, what what really has been running through my mind the last couple of days as things have seemed to just escalate and escalate, and I saw some figures yesterday that were sent out around. They showed, I think it was China, uh, Iran, South Korea, Italy, the UK and Spain and they showed the escalation of numbers between week one and week five. Exactly. And in some countries, like, you know, Iran had one person five weeks ago, and now there's over 12,000 people infected. My big question, Pete, is what? has this happened? How is it that this has just suddenly occurred, and all of a sudden, globally, it's out of control?
0: I can tell you that. I can actually answer that question for you.
1: Tell okay.
0: Me. So so this particular virus has got an, a, a coefficient R two point five, right? Or somewhere between two point two and two point five. What that means is for every person that's got the virus, they will infect two and a half people. Okay? Mm-hmm. And let me put that into context for you. Let's just say you've got a pond, right, with a lily on <laughs> it. What (laughs) colour is the lily? (laughs) Uh, And the the, the lily uh, duplicates uh, every day. Okay? So uh, on day one, there's one lily there. On day two, there's two. On day three, there's four. On day four, there's eight. Okay? Now, let's say it takes 40 days for the lily to cover the entire pond. How many days does it take for the lily to cover
2: half the pond? Give us the answer,
1: please. <laughs> I, was, I was never good at these maths questions at school. Hang on. But it, it,
2: it will. It will.
1: When
0: I tell you, it will make. It will answer your question, Pete.
1: Mm. Yep.
0: Thirty-nine days.
1: Okay.
2: Now uh, another way of looking at this: the feeling at the moment and the evidence in. Uh, some countries, essentially, it is uh, doubling every four days, roughly. Correct. Correct. Doubling every four days, and that is uh, a frightening figure. Uh, another thing, just on on that the numbers is and the way we approach it, uh, because we're you know none of us are medical people, so we need to be careful about how far we go into this, uh, but. Uh, the fact that if we shut everything down, if we stop people from getting it, when we then lift the curfew, everybody is going to get it.
0: Mm. But is that right, though? You see, it, and,
2: and and I this think, is why China may not be out of the woods, and nor nor South Korea. Right. Uh, so this, but of course, because it's a relatively new strain of this kind of virus. Uh, our medical people are working to try and confirm this, and I know that one of the institutes in Australia uh, have been given global uh, kudos and well done, Australia, for uh, for watching very very clearly and working out exactly how our our bodies fight the system, fight fight the virus, how the immunity, our own immunity works over what period of time, and and what uh, what antibodies they see in 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 our own bodies and at what point in time, and. It, This is great this is the information that we need but because it's a new virus it's taking time to to find that out
1: Mm. Uh, right sorry guys did did you hear um today and i think it's the same institution you're talking about pete but in in queensland there's a um i think it's through a uni but i could be wrong about that where they 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 think they've got a cure um and they're bypassing um, animal testing and going straight to humans. And they're offering some minimal amount of money if, if you're volunteer to be a, a guinea pig, so to speak.
0: Good right, luck which, with that. which Facebook page did you get that off, Pete?
1: No, oh, no, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Social Media himself. I know I Yes, most I, of my news from Facebook. <laughs> no, I, I
2: have actually seen in the mainstream media, which is the one I watch. By the way, while we're talking, I am a yeah. mainstream person. I believe in the BBC and probably in Australia. I hope this isn't too political, but the yeah. ABC, with the, the concept that they are completely independent journalists, this is the hope. We desperately need those sources, journalists who actually try to check facts. Uh, but you, you're right, <laughs> Pete. I, that's my understanding is that they are running onto some human trials already around the world, I think yeah. in the US, uh, with volunteers, of course. But unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. And uh, I've, I'm quite confident that our scientists around the world will do a, a great job. It's just whether we survive while we're, we're waiting, but that's not their fault. Uh, changing tone just a little, you might like. I, you guys are from what could be described as a uh, uh, a sporting country.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm glad you bring that up because so uh, now I'm I very have to, interested to talk about all the codes. Uh,
2: well, I can't talk too much because, uh, as Leon might know, I'm one of the few Australians, and don't let anybody know I said this, uh, <laughs> who doesn't watch sport the games are great the codes are great but i'm not one who watches uh the, i i love all the games and and yes when i say that to a to a brit they're uh, they're often really you know, because <laughs> usually the first thing they wish to talk to me about is the cricket yeah. uh, or yeah. whichever other code. But the reason I, I raise it now is is because that's something that has also been uh, devastated by this. And this morning, uh, it is looking clearer and clearer that uh, the Olympic Games may be completely called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, quite possible. But code after code uh, has been yeah. closed around Europe, and the Europeans love their football they love their sports as much as the Australians do
1: so yeah I'm, I'm really pleased you bring that up because it is definitely something I wanted to talk about I'm a, uh, a and uh, apologies to anybody in the UK that hears this and probably will hate what I'm about to say but I'm a big Manchester United fan and have been for a long time um, it has been just astounding for me to watch European football or as we call it soccer uh, being played to no crowds. Now, as we talk, Pete, it's Wednesday night here in Australia. Uh, Tomorrow night, less than 24 hours from now, the Australian Football League is due to have their first round, the first game of the first round, and it is not certain whether that's going to go ahead or not. Um, They will be playing to no crowds. The, The National Rugby League... Opened last week with round one with crowds. This week they're having no crowds. And I suspect, and from what I'm listening to and and, trying to gather as much information as I can from from the experts, um, not Facebook, Leon, um, (laughs) it it seems to me as though at some point in both of those seasons in the not-too-distant future, those codes will shut for at least a few weeks, uh, as much as maybe six weeks. And again, it's it's been just amazing to look at the conversation that's occurring around this. And the, the Australian Football League, who has a very, very strong players' association, um, you can think of them as a union, um, two days ago came out and said the season will be shortened to 17 games from the normal 23-game schedule. And as of last night, the players said that will not happen. It will be twenty-three rounds because we will not be taking a pay cut, and it's it's not going to work out for them. Good luck with that. Correct. It, it, yes. it honestly, it's it's manic because it is unprecedented. This has never happened before. And as much as every lawyer writes the force majeure clause into a contract, <laughs> nobody ever thought that they'd have to use it. And basically, that that's the clause that's being pulled out as we speak.
2: Yes. And, well, the, I, here's where you can get it now from Europe. The reality is that major sporting event after major sporting event uh, and entire competitions are being closed down and already have been closed down. And various other. We mentioned the Royal Albert Hall, and uh, all major gatherings have now been closed closed down. The Prime Minister, if I didn't mention it mentioned it earlier, has been very clear, uh, and it has caused some controversy for various reasons. You mentioned lawyers, insurance companies, but uh, the the whole population have been asked not to go to restaurants, not to go to cafes, not mm-hmm. to go to any events, and yet the government did not formally close those venues which creates uh a real issue for the insurance industry and the discussions around that uh if you see what i mean uh but those that's what's happened don't go to restaurants don't go to cafes uh Mm. if not mentioned earlier this is life stopping Uh, london is eerily quiet apparently uh and today uh sorry i'm not sure if i shared it with you earlier Uh, Suzanne and I were going to uh, go into London today, and uh, she had her Australian passport renewal up. It was today. Everything ran smoothly. Uh, The consulate's website was brilliant, all booked in. Paperwork was smooth. Yesterday, they emailed to say, sorry, the appointment's cancelled. So we're going to have to take a a temporary 12-month passport. I didn't know these really existed. I I haven't had to deal with this before. So Suzanne will fill out a sort of remote uh, situation, get a 12-month passport, and we're going to have to make another appointment in sometime in the next uh, four months, five months, or perhaps. Uh, and I didn't see that as an issue. I thought we'd go into London, and there's not a whole lot of contact, and that the, the uh, Australian consulate would remain open, but they haven't. And that's another example of. Uh, sorry to use that term, lockdown. So the streets of London today will be a little bit like a ghost town compared to what they're usually like. What about
0: the tubes, Pete? Uh,
2: I think as of perhaps today, Leon, they'll start to look similar. Uh, People are still going to work, but uh, simultaneously I'll say they've been wherever people can work from home, they've been asked to. Now, many of the people, and remember millions, use the tube network in London every single day. Many of them are, 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 um, what's the word I'm after, are workers that can can work from home. So many of them are. Uh, As of the last 48 hours, people are, even companies who, for whatever cultural reason, uh, don't like their employees working from home, and there are still a lot of those companies, it would seem, they are having to change their ways, and people are working from home. So the tube's going to be even quite quiet today. And Heathrow? Uh, Heathrow... (laughs) Uh, is is somewhat desolate so anybody who's been through Heathrow uh, one of the uh, iconic uh, airports of the world and just uh, five minutes away from me uh, is very quiet the formal travel advice from the UK government has been this is not a joke if you can help it don't go anywhere in the world I don't think they've ever issued that instruction that is the guideline yeah. If you can help it, don't go to any country in the world.
1: Gosh. Wow. Yeah. I like hey, you um, not. Something that you guys might be interested to hear, and, and in both of your situations, um, it it may not be a phenomenon because obviously the UK uh, being – well, England being a small country with a lot of people uh, and with Darwin being so remote. So I'm currently an hour from Melbourne, and to try and get your normal, everyday Melbourneian to this sort of region normally is, is um, you know, probably fairly difficult unless they're coming up for a weekend or something. But we now have a situation where on, on the local community pages where you've got people talking about the fact that there's busloads of people coming up from Melbourne to raid the supermarkets and the local shops. And I'm like, uh, I, yeah, because my wife sort of said to me, oh, look, people are disgruntled and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, look, this is just hearsay, you know. You, you don't know. This. You see one Asian person and all of a sudden there's, you know, half of China's buying out your supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but as you of love tonight. social media. <laughs> yeah. As of tonight, I saw something that really had me conflicted and that is an IGA supermarket about 40 k's from where I am, has put a notice up on their local community page and it went something along the lines of to our customers from these towns. If you want to shop in our supermarket for, until further notice, you must provide ID that you live in those towns to shop in our supermarket, and I know that licensed, you know, venues can stop people coming in for you know a variety of different reasons, whether it's you know too much alcohol or whatever. But unless I'm wrong, and maybe we ask the lawyer in the room, I would have thought that is patently illegal to do that. And so I still have a Northern Territory. <laughs> I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't admit to this. I still have a Northern Territory license, so technically you I can't go to my a lot of
2: things, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So you, you have a long drive to get some yeah, milk tonight
1: Exactly, I can't go to my own supermarket. Is that even legal, Leon?
0: Well, well but but I, I I can't say that I you know I have a photographic memory for the for the Discrimination Act, but. Uh, I'm almost certain that uh, geographic discrimination isn't in there. <laughs> yeah, so you, you,
2: they can go. Feel free to, to discriminate on that basis.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would think so, but you know we'd have to look at the Act to be sure. But yeah, so racial so, discrimination, just, discrimination on the basis of uh, you know uh, sex, uh, uh, religion, blah blah blah. Yes, but geographic, it certainly is not ringing a bell.
1: <laughs> you, you can't discriminate someone against being a
2: serious slicker. <laughs>
1: unfortunately there you go
0: yeah okay so Darwin.
2: yeah mm, go on please go ahead i was just going to say so darwin at the moment is uh you know we've discussed some you know it's not been the happiest discussion in a sense what's going on but but uh darwin's looking good at the moment and let's just hope that that's uh people are sensible as this comes through
0: right i think we're just too complacent that's my personal view i think uh You know, I mean, I'm I'm hearing what you what you're saying about you know isolating too early and then coming out and getting the virus. That's certainly the first I've heard of it. I've not heard anybody say that. Um, But uh, you know, my 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 view is based on everything that I've read and seen, uh, and from paid sources, uh, Peter um, (laughs) Gowers. I'd have to say that uh, self isolation um, for the indefinite future is possibly the safest thing that you can do for not just yourself, but
1: for the community. Mm. Hey, Pete, am I right in saying that um, uh, my my wife had coffee with a, a local nurse yesterday and she said that as opposed to Australia where self-isolation is being recommended, mm. and, and correct me if my terminology is wrong, but in the UK they're opting for this herd immunisation concept?
2: That was the... Yes, the herd immunity concept, it has been updated in the last few days. And we touched on it earlier. It's been updated because of what's coming out of Italy. The figures uh, and the way things have gone have surprised people even more. So now we're threading that needle. But yes, the herd immunity concept was why we're trying... that, That forms part of the... Um, slowing the curve, uh, pushing it yep. out further, uh, yep. so that some people can can uh, will uh, have the virus, hopefully get over the virus, and if it's a typical virus of this sort, then have some immunity, and we will get a herd immunity growing through the population. Yes, that's that was uh, is still part of the UK's view on this. Uh, wow but it's under constant review. Uh, the yeah. lockdown, here's a, here's a phrase or a terminology that we, we might leave with. Uh, if if we change from this um, flattening the curve approach and we go to a lockdown approach, uh, they say the problem with that is that there is no exit. Mm. This is the way it was put. There is no exit plan to that. And I think that's where my comments about as soon as you lift it, the virus, if it's still there, it then spreads. You're back to square yeah. one, and you're I guess, I,
0: I guess what I'm thinking of is, is it just gives us more time to develop a vaccine.
2: There is that, but again, you know, the slowing the curve allows that as well. So it's a combination of these things. If relatively healthy people get it, get over it, hopefully have some immunity, and leave. Also, the the flattening of the curve. Remember the key point that the medical people have told us that. Uh, it allows the beds in the hospital system to yes. be used over a more gradual yes. period of time. Yes. This is so important, yes. certainly to the national health service here. And I can't see why it would be in a difference in Australia.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, on that note, mate, we might need to pull the, the pin on this one because uh, I, I'm down to almost zero battery, Pete. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's a good reason to finish.
0: Uh, Peter, Peter Coleman, uh, Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's great to see you and talk to you after such a long time. And Mr Gowers, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have.
1: Mate, it's fascinating. Um, And, yeah, things are only going to evolve from here. But appreciate your time, Pete. And um, let's keep fighting the good fight, you fellas.
2: Uh, uh, You mean on the sports field or...? (laughs) wonderful in, in to existence. speak to you both uh, and wonderful to meet you peter uh, yeah it's been really good talking so fingers crossed good luck to darwin and uh, australia uh, keep watching this space i guess you've been listening to the territory story
1: podcast with leon logan nathan and peter gowers for more episodes search territory story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms The Territory Story
0: Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.